I was praying this, you know, this number of things that I want to get into in the new year. It's quite a, quite a number of things that uh, are rolling around that I believe are very important for this new year and for us to hearken to. But uh, I, I just I didn't, couldn't get a release to start talking about that tonight. Um, and so I'm not going to start that tonight. We'll start that maybe another, another service, but, but in January for sure. But I said, well, Lord, if you're checking me on that, what, what, do you, uh, what would you like for this evening? And he, uh, he, I don't know if I've ever actually ministered on this in an entire format, in an entire sermon before. But he said, I want you to talk about one of the most important aspects that has, uh, one of the most important aspects in your life that has caused you success. Amen. And I said, what, my hair? You want me to preach about my hair? I mean, Taylor got the same anointing. He's got the same impartation and the same wave. It's in the wave, brother. It's in the wave. Amen. Uh, thanks, Victoria. I don't know where she is, but she came up with that hair wave thing. Anyway, um, I said, well, Lord, what, and I had to think, I actually asked him, I said, Lord, I'm sorry, I don't really know what you're meaning by one of the greatest aspects that has caused me success, because there's many things that we could maybe attribute that to. But he, he spoke to me and he, very clearly, and he said, I want, because I wasn't getting it, I guess. Maybe I should have known, because he said it to me like I should have known. So that maybe was not a good thing that I didn't know the answer to that. Uh, but he said, I want you to talk about humility. Mm. Now, humility doesn't sound like a very exciting subject, does it? Uh, you know, most people don't think it's a very exciting subject. But humility is a very, very important subject. And I started meditating after he said that to me about a number of different times in my life that I could have got off, that I was actually in the process of getting off. And if I had got off, this church wouldn't exist today. If I, I wouldn't be standing here today. And yeah, we would have had a great work, I guess. I don't know if it would have been a great work or not, but it would have been a work, maybe not great, but it would have been something in Peru. And uh, we would have had some people saved. We would have probably started some churches. But the Lord had said to me after I'd fasted and prayed for three months back in 2005, early 2005, after we got back from Guatemala, Quinn had just been born. He was a baby, brand new baby. And uh, my wife said to me, uh, you want to go to Peru? Because we had just been training for three months with language. We had $75,000 sitting in the bank account from donors to help us with our first year of Peru. And we had three or four words of prophecy. Because <laughs> I would travel and then the pastor would get up in the church I was and prophesy. Yay, and again I say yay. And then he would prophesy about Peru. So we had these words. But my pastor... Dr. Coulter, uh, would say to me, uh, maybe you shouldn't listen to every prophecy. I'd say, but doctor, these are good pastors. I mean, they're, they know what they're talking about. And he said, but I don't have a peace. I said, well, of course you don't have a peace because you want me to work for you. Because he'd asked me five times to work for him. And I kept saying, no, I'm called to Peru. And he didn't believe I was called to Peru. So he kept, he had like a, like a bee in his bonnet. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's hard for trust somebody's motive when they already want you to do something different. And then it's very convenient for them to say, well, you shouldn't do that. But I wasn't paying attention to the office. I should have been paying attention to the office, right? Because it was the office, not the desire to have me employed. It was the office that was picking something up. And the pastor's office that I was traveling is not anointed to speak into my life. But the pastor that I'm sitting under is anointed to speak into my life. 
So just because they stand in an office doesn't mean, and they say, thus, yea, again, yea, and again, I say, yea, thus saith the Lord God of hosts. Just because they say that doesn't mean it's God. Just because you like what they say, you can like something, but that doesn't mean it bears witness. A lot of people like stuff because it matches what they want. And then they say, I have a witness. No, you don't have a witness. You have a mental agreement. And it takes humility to look past your mental agreement with the word and look down into your spirit to see if the Holy Ghost is putting his stamp on that thing. Okay? And so we had done the training. We had a lot of money that had come in. Well, not a lot, but I mean, for us at that time, 75000 was quite a lot of money. And, uh, and it would have got us through at least one year in Peru because it's cheaper to live there than it would have been to live in Canada. And so, you know, we were cruising and Quinn was born and my wife had been praying a lot in Guatemala and she had an uneasiness. And I told her it was just pregnancy stuff. It was nothing to do with God. And, uh, and, and she agreed with me at first. And then she said, no, it's not. And they got so to the point where she said to me when we got home, you want to go to Peru? I said, not only are we wanting to go, we're going, woman. And she said, well, then you're going alone. I said, no, that's not how this works. I, I, we're going together as a couple. She says, I'm not getting out of the plan of God. I said, you're getting out of the plan of God by not going. I said, this is what we've been working toward. This is what we've been raising money for. We've got three or four prophecies. We've got all these things. And she says, I don't give, honestly, don't talk to Jenny when she knows what she wants because you won't talk her out of it. She says, I don't give a flying rip. What prophecy says what? What money says what? What Dr. Coulter says, what anybody else says. I don't care what anybody says. I know in here. And I said, well, but she was more skillful than I was back then because she had had Dad's Higgins teaching that I hadn't had back then. And so I, I, I'm just, I'm telling you this because I believe there's a reason for this. I had to, as the man... I had to say, well, well Lord, I, I, I'm not going to humble myself before her because that's not what your word says. I'm going to humble myself before you. So I went to pray and seek God and humble myself before him, and that's correct. But on that prayer time, he showed me Ephesians chapter 5 that says, submit to her. Submit to one another. Long before it says husbands, wives submit your husbands and husbands love your wives as Christ. Long before it says anything, it says submit to one another. So God started that whole protocol by saying you submit to Corinne and Corinne submit to you. And then everything else flows after that. So, I, 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 so he corrected me and he said you started this prayer time like I'm not submitting to her, I'm submitting to you because you're God, she's not, and I think she's wrong anyway. And he said, but I asked you to submit to her and to me. So, uh, so I said, okay, well, so you're telling me, she, we, know, we know she's wrong. So, no, honestly, I'm not lying to you. That's how I prayed. That is how I prayed. Because I was 100% convinced. So I said, well, we know she's wrong, but you still want me to submit to her. How, we'll, we'll, so the ministry's not going to go forward because of her, but you want me to submit to her and to you. So you're going to somehow protect our ministry because she's going to... She looks like she's going to ruin it. Now, honestly, that's what I felt. Until finally, the Holy Ghost over a long time started getting over to me. She's right. It's not submitting to her, and then she's going to ruin it, but I want you still submitting to her because I don't want you to get divorced. 
Because she said, if you go, we're getting divorced because I'm not going. Yeah. So it was like one of those extreme kind of things, right? So either, but I really feel like we're supposed to go. So either I go and get divorced or I submit to her and don't fulfill the plan of God and stay married. That's a really hard decision when you're a minister. And so I had to, God really had to show me, no, it's not about submitting to her and ruining the plan of God. You're submitting to me and you're submitting to her because we're right and you're wrong. And, and by submitting, I'll show you what the plan of God is. Are you listening to me? But I'm just going to be honest with you. Most men would not do that. Most men that I know would hold their ground, would put their feet in the mud, and they would say, no, I've heard from God. I know what I'm doing. And God said to me after that, if you had done that and gone to that nation, you would have wound up on the ash heap. That's what he called it, the ash heap of ministry. Ash heap. Have you ever had a fire? Like the day after Christmas? Actually, Christmas Day, I go because there's 9,000 boxes in our house. And I go and, and I burn for three hours. And I, and I, no, did I not do that? I mean, it is like, and it's astonishing. The pile of ash is like three feet high when I'm done, right? Uh, that, so obviously, to have a pile of ash means you had to burn something to get that. He didn't say a pile of dirt. He said a pile, the ash heap. He didn't say the dirt heap. He said the ash heap of ministry, which means everything you're going to try is going to be burned to nothing. And all you're going to have is ashes left. And you're going to be sitting on the top of that like you're the king of the ash heap, thinking, praise God, look what I've done. And it's going to be nothing. Now, I say that to say there, were, there has been times in my life, and probably others would agree if you're, if you're honest, where, where you haven't always got it right. And sometimes somebody else has it right and you don't, but you're convinced you do. And it takes pride, swallowing, humility, and it hurts the pride of man. I don't mean as human beings, but also the pride of man. I mean males. It hurts to swallow that. It is painful to swallow that and to say, I was wrong. And, uh, but if you really love Jesus and you really love your wife or your husband, it's okay to say you were right because it's not about winning a battle. It's about we're heirs in the grace of life together. And okay, I missed it this time. You've missed it other times, but thank God we can submit to one another. Ephesians 5, 21. But it takes great humility to admit that somebody else was right and you were wrong. It's easier to say, it's not as hard to say, Jesus, you were right because we love him and we know he's right. But I want you to notice he doesn't always show you directly all the time. He does by his spirit if you listen, but I wasn't listening. So if you're not listening, he will show you through somebody with skin on. Jesus doesn't appear to you all the time and show you that you're wrong. The Holy Ghost will bear witness that you're wrong. But most people, over 32 years of ministry, I can tell you by experience, most people don't know the inner witness. And a lot of people sitting in this room that think you know the inner witness, you really don't. Because I watch things happen in your life. I talk to you privately and you, ha- you, you might say that you do, but your life's, your outcome does not prove that you do. Do you understand? We're all growing. There's no condemnation here. We're all growing. But I'm telling you, if you're not getting, now listen, most people will get the bearing of witness about things that they're excited about, but about correction, which requires humility, you'll miss it because you're not humble. If you're truly humble, you'll catch those inner witnesses of the spirit that you are wrong. 
I'm I'm trying to give you some spiritual laws. Now, if you're not truly humble, you will be more likely to miss the corrections of the inner witness. But God in his mercy won't let you go. He will give you somebody with skin on because you're not getting it in here. So somebody's going to squawk to you out here. And he will use the office of the pastor primarily. He'll use other offices that come around as well. But he will use more than even the pastor, your spouse. If your spouse is spiritual. If your spouse is not, then they can't really be used. Or they could, I guess, but typically they're not. They could stumble upon being used. God can use a bird. He can use your spouse, even if they're not saved. But he can, they will stumble upon it. Do you know what I'm saying? But a spiritual spouse, I was missing it. But I wasn't humble enough. I'm being honest with you. I'm being transparent. I was not humble enough to get the inner witness. She got it, but I didn't. So what did God have to do? Because I'm not getting it. But he loves me. He doesn't want me to wind up in the ashes. So he speaks to me through somebody with skin on. He spoke through my pastor, but I didn't really respect the, the pastor because I knew he had an alternative, mo- an al- alternative motive. Al- 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 what? Ulterior motive. Right? And it's hard to trust somebody like that when you really think that they've already decided what they want based on what they want, not in what's my best interest, but what's in his best interest. So, but I, but I should have, I should, that was my, my mistake. I should not have done that, but I'm just admitting I did. But even missing the inner witness and missing my pastor's words, God still didn't let me go. And he gave me a spouse who could hear better than me and who warned me and who squawked at me because God's speaking through her. But thank God I humbled myself to listen because if I hadn't have, I would be divorced. I would be the king of the ash heap. I would have never hooked up with doctor. I'd probably be broken, sick, or maybe dead. And I'm telling you, all of that came back to, there's a lot of different aspects to what I've just said, right? But not everybody has a spouse. So you can't just say it it requires a spouse because it doesn't. Okay, but everybody has the Holy Ghost, but not everybody hears the Holy Ghost, but everybody has friends, loved ones, and everybody should have a pastor. Do you understand? So God can still squawk at you through somebody with flesh on. But what is the real key here? It's not about God speaking to you through somebody, because God can speak to you through an animal if he had to, through a dream, through anything. The key issue is not who God used to speak to you. The key issue is your attitude when they spoke to you. Because God could use anybody. Do you understand? God could use anyone or anything, but the key is humility is such an important key because without it, I I can virtually guarantee you your life will get off course. You might still love Jesus. You might still be in the right church, but the plan, the plan for your future, the plan that God wanted you to do or the business he wanted you to start or the, or the spouse he wanted you to marry or this or that he wanted or that that he wanted. Humility keeps things on track. But humility is one of the hardest things to, it's one of the hardest things. <laughs> Remember that guy, Fred, who was 90 some Lord of mercy years old. He didn't have no revelation of the local church or a pastor, but he got the hots for a girl who was 88 or something and decided he wanted to marry. Remember? So he left us and went to marry her. I mean, how can you fault somebody who's 94 or whatever wants to get married? I mean, it's just so weird and extreme. I guess I, I didn't feel bad when he left. I just said, well, brother, if you can handle it, go get another wife. I mean, I don't know. God bless you. 
But I said before he left, Fred, what, what, what is the secret, brother? Been married 70-something years. Uh, they were an interracial couple. Took a lot of flack in Montreal in the early days for being an interracial couple through the 40s and 50s and 60s. But, uh, but I said, what's that? And he says, oh, that's easy. He said, everything was my fault. No, he told me that. And I said, well, that's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I haven't met your deceased wife, and I can't because she's gone, but I'm sure that some things were her fault. And he says, oh, lots of things were her fault, but they were all my fault. Now, now listen, I'm trying to help you. Lots of things were her fault, but they're all my fault. I said, what do you mean? I don't understand what you mean. He said, and he said, Sonny, he called me Sonny. Pastor Sonny sometimes and just Sonny other times. Sonny, if you want a good marriage, don't ever blame her. Because he said, I promise you, it's very rare that it will be 100% her. Occasionally it is. But very rare will it be 100% her fault. So he said in the vast majority of cases, it's, it's somewhere under 100%. It could be 99 to 1, could be 99.9 to 0.1. Well, maybe I should point at her, 99.9 <laughs> .9 to 0.1, do you understand? But he said, rarely is it all her. So if it's any, he told me, he said, if there's any blame with you, he said, you take all of it. I said, that's hard to do. He said, yeah. He said, that's called humility. This is a man who's just got born again, who knows nothing about the Bible, teaching me about humility. But he's teaching me from his life. And he had a good marriage, not because he put Jesus in the center, but he put the principles of the word in the center. And that's why it still worked for him, even though he was a sinner. And then I said, but what about when the rare times it is 100% her? Because I said, with me and Jenny, that happens quite a bit, where it's not that rare. I said, your wife's one thing, my wife's something else, brother. What about the rare times that it is 100% her? And then he, said, he answered me. He said, do you love her? I said, yeah. He says, well, then if you love, if you love her, why can't you cover her? Why can't you take it? Why can't you just take it? It's rare. But why can't you just take it? Just take it. Just take it because you love her. Just take the blame because you love her. Jesus took the blame because he loved me. Jesus had nothing wrong with him. I had 100% wrong with me. And there was nothing wrong. He had zero. And what did he do? He took the blame. So I said, my God, Fred, I said, you don't even know the Bible. I said, but you know what you're actually teaching me is scriptural because the Bible says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? Jesus was 0% wrong. The church was 100% wrong because we were sinners. And yet he gave his life for us and took our blame. So even when in the rare or in some cases, not so rare occasions where the wife is 100% wrong, I can still take her blame if I love her because I'm told to love her like Jesus loves me and he was 100% perfect and I was 100% not perfect and he took my blame. <laughs> and so I realized you don't ever have to divorce if you're willing to humble yourself. What keeps people out of the divorce court? Humility. But, it's, but you don't understand what she did. I know, but Jesus, uh, undid, you could say, well, Jesus couldn't understand what I did, but he still took me. He still took the blame for me. He was perfect, and I was 100% wrong, and he took it for me. And I'm told to love her like he loved me, so I'm going to take it for her. 
in the rare times where she is 100% wrong, but in the, but in the mo most cases, it's somewhere between the two of us, which means I'm still wrong. So I have more justification to take it on me because I was part of the cause. But, but you can't say, well, I don't always have to do it. No, you do, because 100%, when, when you're 100% right and they're 100% wrong, Jesus said, you still take it. Because I took it. My God. But I tell you, so, so let me, let me I just be, I'm just being very frank with you. So I, uh, I thought to myself, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this thing out a little bit more better, a little bit stronger than I have in the past. And the next time we got into a fight, which does occasionally happen, uh, we don't like to talk about it, but you're human. And so the next time we got in a fight, and, and I really believe that she was mostly in the, in, the, in the blame. And I actually think in that case it was true. She was mostly, in the, but probably I was a little bit, but, but she definitely took 98% or higher. No, in that case, not every case, but in that case, she really was to blame. And, and I thought to myself, now let me see if this, how do I do this? And I'm telling you, my brother, it felt like I was climbing Mount Everest. My chest seized up. I felt like... <gasps> I couldn't breathe like the, like the altitude sickness was coming on me. And I mean, just, just, how can I take this blame when Lord, you see what she did? But I swallowed it and it humility is tough because you got to swallow. I swallowed it and I remember I walked it and I said, honey, I said, regardless of who's right or wrong, I just want you to know that I forgive you and I, and I just, I just take it on me because I love you and I don't want us to fight and I, I just, just blame me, it's okay. And then, and then that actually made her more angry because then she thought I was being like, like a martyr or something. <laughs> and she said, why do you always have to do that? What are you, you're trying to be a saint? You're trying to be a saint? Because that makes me even more angry because it's like you're better than me and it's like you're looking down on me. And I said, I'm not trying. I'm trying to take the blame and I'm being blamed for taking the blame. But, but I've learned something. Some, some women are like this, some women aren't. Some of them, you just need to give them some space. And, and I don't know about your marriage, but my marriage, Jenny never wants space. She wants to hash it out right now, right here, right now. But I know, because I have wisdom, that she needs space. So what I do is I go out and I leave the house, and then she yells as I'm leaving and says, see, you're running away again. But I still leave. Because I know that I need to cool off, she needs to cool off. It's true, Jenny, and then we'll come back, and uh, we'll talk. After a number of hours have passed, the same day, but after a number of hours have passed, don't let the sun go down in your anger, and then we will talk, and, and, and some of the emotions have settled, and then when I say to her, which I've done many times, honey, I just, I take it, I take it, I mean, I mean, and I still find it so hard to say, you are 100% right, I, I, I just, because in most cases, it's not true, and I don't want to lie, you know, but, 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 but I do say, honey, I just, I just want you to know that I take responsibility. No matter what, how much on either side, I'm taking it because Jesus took it for me. 
and he told me I'm to take it for you. Don't get mad at me. I'm not trying to be superior. I'm not trying to be super spiritual. I'm not trying to be a martyr or a saint or a monk or the Pope or anybody. I'm not trying to, I'm not Catholic. I'm just trying to act like Jesus. So receive my apology and let's put this behind us. And we've had a couple rough spots until she really got to see my true heart in that. But when she started to see my heart, it actually made things a lot better. We don't fight very often, and when we do, uh, I'm so used to swallowing it. I'm so used to, no, I am. I'm used to the humility. It's, humility will get easier the more you do it. Because you've got to get the pride out of you. You've got to get the blame out of you. And, it's, and it becomes easier over time. And it really does help, and that's why I know that we're going to make it. <laughs> I know we'll make it because it's not because of the anointing to preach. It's got nothing, the anointing to preach has nothing to do with marriage. And it doesn't help the marriage. I'm just like you, and i got to fight the same battles you do because that anointing lifts off when I leave the pulpit and I'm left like everybody else. And that healing anointing doesn't heal me. My own faith has to heal me. That healing anointing don't help my marriage. That power of that anointing doesn't help my marriage. My own faith and my own humility and my own being led by the Spirit has to help my marriage. Same with my children, same with everything else. So we don't get it easy. We're attacked more, and yet the anointing we're under won't help us. So it's actually tougher for a minister in many ways because we've got to use our faith. That's why I feel sorry for ministers that haven't been taught what we've been taught because they've got so much pressure, so much attack, so much demonic, so many people, but they haven't been taught faith. They haven't been taught how to answer it. They haven't been taught casting their care. Some of them that aren't even baptized in the Holy Ghost, they don't even know how to pray it out in the Spirit. No wonder, honestly, they get so stressed they take a sabbatical. I used to mock that. Now, in a little bit of maturity, I realize, dear God, if I didn't know what I know, I would be taking nine months a year sabbatical. And a lot of pastors do that. Not nine months. They'll take two or three months. And while they're gone, they'll just have different deacons preach or board members preach or they'll bring somebody in because they're just so stressed that they need just to go and let their mind settle and get the attack off them because they don't know how to handle it from their spirit because they've never been taught. Thank God what we've been taught. Thank God what we've been taught because if we didn't talk, you wouldn't see me for three months. Now I'm considering in 23 saying that I've forgotten a lot of what I've been taught. And so just take three months and then I tell you, I just, I forgot it. So I have to go and review it, but I'll be gone for three months. But Jennifer says, no, you're not allowed to do that. I'm trying to weasel my way, Jenny, but I can't seem to do it. All I'm saying to you is humility is a very, very, very important thing. And when, uh, when Peter got into the flesh and tried to protect Jesus and Jesus says, you don't know what spirit you're of. Get thee behind me, Satan. It's like, what if I told you that as your leader? It would be easy for you to get offended. If I called you Satan, uh, he didn't say like Satan. Like, now, he's not saying Peter is Satan. He's saying Satan is using Peter. So he's turning to address Satan, but Satan's using the person. It's easy for the person to feel like you're attacking them, even though you're addressing the spirit. Because they'll feel like, well, but, the, but he used me, so maybe Jesus is mad at me. It's easy to get offended at that. But, but Peter didn't get offended at that. And when he preached a sermon that everybody else got offended and left, and he said, are you going to leave too? Peter said, Peter was the one that said, no, where, where are we going to go? You got the words of life. So Peter had already established a measure of humility in his life that even when he was corrected, he didn't, he didn't jump ship from Jesus. Are you with me? 
When we made the mistake with planting the church in Winnipeg and listening to what people wanted instead of really what the Holy Ghost wanted, and we were learning how to be led by the Spirit. And Dr. Dufresne corrected me after I made the mistake. Six months later, he sat down and he corrected me, and he said, but I already knew this before it happened. I said, why didn't you tell me, sir? But if you knew it before it happened, why didn't you tell me? And he said, because you're never going to grow up if I tell you everything. You've got to learn to listen to your spirit, and you weren't. But he spent time privately correcting me. He, privately without anybody else there. And I appreciate that he didn't do it in front of other ministers yeah. or in a public service yeah. or even in front of my wife. I, although I'm humble enough with her, it wouldn't have mattered if he did it in front of her. But, but he told me aside and he says, now I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, now I'm your dad, right? I said, yes. He said, a lot of people say that, but they don't mean it when, when, when I have to be tough on them. He said, but I have to be tough on you because, because I'm not always going to be around. And I didn't know how real that was. But he said, now you've got to learn some things. And he started talking to me, but he was correcting me. He was, he was dealing with my flesh. God was using him because I wasn't getting it by the inward witness. I didn't get offended with him and leave him. Are you listening? I didn't get offended with her and leave her when she corrected me. And she's done it many times since. Pastor Nancy has pulled me aside many times and said, Pastor Craig, I just want to talk about this. I want to talk about something. I say, oh, okay. <laughs> and then she'll say whatever she has to say. And, 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 I, and I'll feel bad and I'll feel corrected because you don't enjoy that. But, but, uh, but I'm grateful for it because I'm grateful for it because I don't want to miss it. I don't want to get off track. But I have to, I have to swallow that feeling of pride I'm a senior pastor. I, I've been around, I'm not a novice. You know, you shouldn't be telling me this. No, no. I have to humble myself and say, please speak to me. Gently as you can, but even if you're not gentle, I'll take it anyway because of who you are. Humility causes you to receive correction. Humility causes God to be able to exalt you. Without it, you're in big trouble and you don't even know it. Are you listening to me? I'm serious. I know this is maybe not what you're used to, but maybe that's good that you're not used to it because we don't want you to always have something you're used to. Do you remember those four phrases? Those not phrases, four words I've often said that are key words. We have got to have a holiness about our life. We've got to have honor, especially for God and for the offices about our life. We've got to have hunger and we've got to have humility. Humility without, without, those other things, but without humility, we're, we're not going to accomplish the plan of God. We're not. No. Are you with me? Yes. I know, but whether you like it or not, it's very important. So read with me a couple of scriptures, please. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn of me. Why does he say learn of me? Because I know something you don't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you knew everything, why would you have to learn of him? Yeah. In other words, that's another way of saying you don't know everything. You don't know where you're missing it. But learn of me for I am. He's saying he is, which means he expects us to be the same because we're supposed to be imitators of him. I am meek and lowly in heart and you'll find rest to your souls. Now, meekness is not humility. Meekness is, is an attitude of the heart and out of meekness is how you treat others. Yeah. Moses was the meekest man in all the earth because of how he treated other people. Meekness is not humility. Humility is how you see yourself. Yes, sir. Meekness is how you, help, how you deal with others. Yeah. 
Can you remember that? Meekness is how I treat you. If I'm hard and rough and mean spirited and angry, then I'm not meek. Meekness is, there's a gentle quality. If you study it in the Greek, the closest word to meekness is gentleness. There's a gentle quality to meekness. That doesn't mean you're weak. You can be a firm, strong leader and not take any guff and make sure the boat's going the right direction. But when you're correcting people, there is a gentle quality with your, stir, with your firmness. There's a gentleness. And that's called being meek. Moses didn't let them ruin the whole thing. Well, you know, with the 10 spies, he listened to them and God got angry. But in most cases, Moses, he did take charge, but he was very gentle with the people, yet firm. That's meekness. Jesus said, I'm meek. That means Jesus treated people appropriately. Jesus wasn't mean-spirited, religious, like the religious people can get mean-spirited, legalistic. Jesus was firm. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't allow sin to go like the woman that was going to get stoned. He, he said, you've got to repent. But you notice he says, now, now, you, now you all that want to judge her, you cast the first stone. See, there was a gentleness. There was a mercy. There was a meek quality, yet not tolerating sin. Go and sin no more. So Jesus said, I'm meek. We have to be meek. But that's not the focus tonight is how you treat people. The focus is humility. Lowly is the, is the Greek word for humble. Lowly of heart. Notice it's a heart issue. So he's saying, I am lowly or humble in my heart. In other words, how, remember meekness is how you see others, how you treat others. But, but, but humility is how you see yourself. So do you see yourself as better than other people? Are you listening to me? Because I was raised in a society that trained me that because of the color of my skin, I'm better than other people. You forget that I'm from apartheid South Africa, which I just think it's hilarious that all my best friends are black. I just think that's just like a joke, like it's wonderful. Do you know what I'm saying? But I was trained to think better, like I'm better. That's how they train you there. In the private schools, that's how they train you. But thank God the Word of God takes precedence over the training of man and the brainwashing of man. And my mind got washed with the Word. Bible says, wash it with the water of the Word. And God literally washed my brain and got rid of the soil that they tried to wash my brain with. Because, because I, don't, I don't see it in any way that they see it. But what I'm saying is, is the way that I... I their racism ultimately, prejudice ultimately, is a humility issue. Yes. Because you truly think you're better. Yes. You think you're, you're better, you think you're superior, you think you're, you're I don't know. I, so you got to deal with humility. That's the core of it. Really, people say it's, it's hatred, but, it's, but it is and it isn't. Because I know people that are kind of racist, I know pastors today in the States that have racial, racist qualities to them, but they don't, they don't hate the person that's, that's, that's a different skin color. So you can't say the root of it is hatred. What it is, is they think that they're better. So the, the, the root of it is pride. Pride and, humil and, and, and humility is the opposite of pride. So if you can humble yourself before, before God and not... You, you'll deal with a whole range of issues. Yeah, you'll get along with your boss better if you can humble yourself. 
You'll get along with your spouse better if you can humble yourself. You'll get along with God better if you can humble yourself. You'll get along with your pastor better if you can humble yourself. So this, this is a beginning of a new year, but I heard the Holy Ghost very clearly this afternoon. He said, I want you to talk about humility. And then he said another phrase. He said, because a lot, listen, listen, please listen. He said, because some of them in the congregation, things aren't going the way that they should be going for them. Now, he didn't tell me who, but he said some, he didn't say all. He said, some of them in the congregation, things aren't going the way they should be going for them. Now, listen now. And he said, and a lot of the reason for that is a lack of humility. He didn't say the only reason. He said a lot of the reason. So that tells me that there's people sitting here that God wants things to be going better for you. Better in your home, better in your marriage, better in your health, better in your finances, better in every area, better in your businesses. He wants things going better for you. But he said to me today, there's some in the congregation, I want things to go better, but they're not going the way they should go. And a lot of the reason is because of a lack of fundamental humility. You've got to humble yourself and stop thinking you know everything and learn from the Holy Ghost. And if you can't hear him, learn from somebody with skin on. Because God won't leave you. He loves you too much. He'll send somebody. But you've got to learn to humble yourself to that person and not think that you're right all the time. I'm serious. I know it's amazing to me, Jenny, how everybody, nobody argues with the sermon. Everybody says, amen. Everybody says, praise the Lord. Everybody says, yes, that's so right. But then I can't tell you how many times I've said this, maybe not as a whole message, but maybe just as a side note in passing in a sermon. And then the next week or the next day or whatever, uh, this person comes in for counseling. And I, with meekness, with meekness, with gentle firmness, try to show them where their error is. It's amazing how proud they are, how angry they are. How, and it's just like, did you not hear what I just preached? So people can say amen and not do it. So I have tempered optimism with all the amens tonight. Don't stop saying the amen. I just have tempered optimism that you're actually listening. I'm serious. Because the proof's in the pudding. And you can't judge somebody in their marriage. Let's say Taylor and Corinne got divorced. You couldn't, and Corinne left and Taylor stayed, you couldn't automatically judge, you know, Taylor and say, well, you weren't humble. Because you're not in the marriage, and it could have been her that wasn't the one that would humble herself to work with him. But usually there's, a, there's two sides, right? So you can't judge people, but I'm saying that a lot of the reason why marriages don't work is a fundamental lack of humility. A lot of the reasons why congregation members can't receive the word because they're not getting it in here. So God has to use me publicly or privately and they won't get it and they won't yield to it is because of a fundamental lack of humility. Are you listening to me? Because God wants things to go well for you this year. Well, well, well for you this year. He wants things to increase, multiply, and exceed and excel for you this year. But he can't help you if you're think you're more than you are. You can't. So I plead with you to, if, if it applies to you at all, and whether you, it applies to everybody in this room, including the preacher. Every human being listening to me has room to grow in this, including me. So, so everybody should be paying attention because it applies to all of us.
But I want you to read, I'm just giving you a couple of scriptures, Philippians chapter two. But I, I didn't come up with this. I mean, I have lots of rip-roaring sermons that I would like to preach to you, get you all shouting and we'll have a conga line and a fire tunnel and, and we'll take a big offering. Everybody gets excited and you know what I mean? But that's not what he authored for tonight. He didn't author that. He said, talk about humility. So I, I have to obey him, whether, you, whether you're exciting or not. Let nothing be done, Philippians 2, verse 3, in vain, through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind. Do you see that? Let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, lowliness is humility. Now, what did we just learn from the other scripture? I am meek and lowly of heart. But now what does he say? Lowly of mind. So you have to have lowliness inside your heart comes up out of your spirit, humility, but you've also got to renew your mind to think humble. Yes. Yes. Do you understand? He said lowliness of heart, and then he said lowliness of mind. So the mind is renewed by what comes out of the heart, out of your spirit, with the word. Lowliness of heart. Now, notice it says, now, if you're humble, what are you going to do? You're going to esteem others better than yourselves. Did you say, didn't say you're going to think you're better than them. It says you're going to think, you're going to esteem them, you're going to honor them more than yourself. So humble people, listen to me, humble people have no problem honoring. It's proud people that have problems honoring God with the tithe. It's proud people that have, have problems honoring the pastor's office with, when correction comes. Or that won't bless the pastor personally. That's pride. That's pride. Because humble people want to honor and esteem more than themselves. Yes. Are you with me? Yes. So, so part of humility is generosity. Yes. Amen. Hmm. Praise God. Stinginess is not humility. It's not. It doesn't come out of that flow. It comes out of generosity comes out of the humble flow. Now have a look in Matthew chapter 23 verse 12. Just inundating you with scripture. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 12. And whatsoever and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. This is Jesus. This is written in red. Jesus is saying, you want me to exalt you? You want men? You know, even this works in the secular. You want men to exalt you? You got you to gotta lower yourself. Yeah. You've got to have the right mind attitude and heart attitude about situations and about life because humility will bring exaltation. Yes, but I'm not being exalted. Well, maybe it's because you're proud yes. and you don't even realize it. Amen. How do you realize it? What about the next argument you have with somebody? How do you handle it? That'll show you if you're proud. Yeah. What about when correction comes from God or from me or from somebody else? How do you handle that? That'll show you if you're proud. Seriously. It's very true. Now, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. We're almost done, so you can take a deep breath. Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on, put on, put on, put on the Armani suit. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, mercies, mercies. Put on mercy, put on kindness, put on humbleness of mind. Put on meekness. And put on long-suffering. Now, not all of these are the fruits of the Spirit, but we're told to put on the fruits of the Spirit too. They're in us, but we have to yield to them or put them on like a garment. Remember, it says putting on love. Yes, now, what does it say here, Taylor? It says put on humbleness of mind. Yeah. 
That means it doesn't matter whether you feel it or not. You can put on humility in your thoughts like you would put on a suit. Yes, sir. Like you'd put on your winter coat. Yes, you can actually put it on and say, today I choose to be now, it's the revelation and the renewing of the mind comes up out of the spirit from the, from the word. But there's also a measure of it's not just all bubbling up and you do nothing. You have to act and yield to that humility. And, and what, what he says here is put it on like a garment. I choose humbleness of mind today. I choose to be humble. I choose to submit. I choose not to think more highly of myself than I ought to think. You actually can choose it because you have to put on the humility of mind. That means you can also not put it on and be arrogant and proud. So before you come to the next counseling session, before you walk through the door, pause for a second and say, I put on humility of mind. And you'll get a lot more than some of you do. Psalm 138. I I thank you. I will. Psalm 138, verse 6. Psalm 138. And verse 6, and it says, Though the Lord be high, yet he hath respect unto the lowly, the humble, but the proud he knoweth afar off. That means if you're proud, he don't even want you in his presence. Now the blood gives you rights to come into his presence, but if you're coming through the blood with haughty attitudes and high-mindedness, God will still, you be in the outer part of that court. You're technically there because of the blood, but he don't really want you around the same way as he wants somebody that has humility of mind and humbleness of heart. Do you know that? I don't want God to know me far away. I don't want to be far from him. I want to be near him. But notice what draws me near him. It didn't say hunger, did it? Although that is part of it. It didn't say holiness, although without holiness you can't see the Lord. It didn't say honor, although we know we have to honor. But it says without humility you can't, you can't get near him. He says, if you're proud, I know you, I hold you off. But if you're humble, I bring you close. I want to be close, Jenny. That means I've got to be humble. And not just between me and him but humble with me and other people. Amen. Humble with me and the police officer. Amen. Are you listening to me? Because I know there are racist cops out there and they deserve to go to prison for the rest of their life. And some people, even, with, even if you're humble, if they're wrong, they can abuse you. But in most cases, if you humble yourself and stop whining and arguing and mouthing off, you will find it will work better for you. And if they're wrong, videotape it and take it to the police station. I say video everything. Everything. No, everything. Every time, if there's ever anything, after what I went through when I was arrested, after what I learned of how sneaky and despicable some of those police officers are, and some of them are despicable. They are liars. But most of them are not. They're good men and women that are trying to do a good job, but some of them are wrong. And after what I went through, if I ever have an interaction with them, I pull up my phone and I say, I'm just letting you know, I'm recording everything you say and everything you do. (laughs) They don't like that. And I don't really don't care because if they abuse me again, I'm taking it to the, I'm taking it to the judge, baby, because I have rights. You know what I mean? I don't pay that much taxes as I pay to be abused by them popos. No, sir. No, sir. You want to abuse me? You give me tax breaks. 
don't get me started because I can feel my flesh rising up. <laughs> Though the Lord be high, yet he has respect unto the Lord. Listen, we honor the cops. We rever- because the Bible calls the ministers of God. They are here to prevent our society from going into chaos. We don't mouth off of them. I pray for them. I respect them. In fact, one year a while ago, we raised an offering for them. Do you remember? And I, and I took the offering over to the police station and met with the chief over there right here. And I said, our church raised an offering for you. And they were nice. They weren't rude. But he says, oh, we can't accept that. I says, why not? We raised an offering for you. Just divide it among the officers. It's not much, like 20 bucks each or something. And he goes, no, we can't. That's a bribery. And he said, are you trying to bribe me? And I said, I'm a pastor, raised an offering. And I started getting angry with him. For you. And you're telling me I'm a briber? I just, I don't understand the logic, but I understand that people do try to bribe them. So then, and then he, and then he calmed down and he apologized. He said, I am very sorry, Reverend. He said, what I call you, Father, Reverend, what are you? I said, just call me Pastor Craig. I said, he said, I'm very sorry. He said, it's just that we are under very strict rules. We can get in a lot of trouble. But I really appreciate what you're calling. Then he thanked me. He said, please thank the congregation. And he says, and I says, well, well can, and then, then I wanted to get a bit cheeky. So I said, well, can I take the offering and buy you donuts? I did. I said, because you guys eat donuts, don't you? I, I did. I said, no, but no, snacks, snacks. And but sure, your shift. Maybe power bars or, 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 or fruit or something. Can, can we buy you food? With, instead of money, can we do something? I did. I, and they said, no, that's bribery as well. So, but we tried. I don't know why I shared that story. Where was the humility of heart there? The honor for the policemen, because sometimes some of them are bad apples, but most of them are wonderful people, and we need to honor them and pray for them. And if they stop or they say something to you, don't give them an attitude. They get enough attitude from enough rascals out there. Just, just be kind and be humble. Just be humble. Just be humble. Okay? All right? I should have been more humble after they accused me of bribery. But I just found it a bit, a, bit, a bit offensive because of the effort that I had gone to try to bless them. But that's still, that's still, I'm still learning too. Do you understand? Oh, Jesus. This humility thing is real tough sometimes. But, but, I, but I got it on the inside of me, Jenny. Okay, I'm almost done now. Uh, James chapter 4, I saved the best for last. James chapter 4, verse 6. You can't argue with this one. James just got us down, man. James does not, pay, he, he won't pull any punches, brother. But he gives more grace, wherefore he says, that's the power of God, the anointing of God. God resists the proud. Resist, resist, resist you. He don't like you if you're proud. He loves you, but he don't like you. But gives grace, power, energy, help, favor, Holy Ghost, aid, blessing to the humble. The humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. In other words, because you're sinning, you're not doing right, so don't be partying when you're sinning. That's what he's talking about. Humble yourselves, verse 10, in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. When, the, when I'm humble, Jenny, God does this. He lifts me up. I don't, life's hard enough. You don't want added pain why go through the hardship and then on top of all of that be proud where God can't help you if you're going to go through the hardship at least be humble so that he can lift you up 
What does verse 6 say? He gives grace or power, anointing, favor, aid, supply, increase to the humble. He don't give nothing to the proud. He resists you. If you come in and you're talking to your pastor in the office and there's correction or anything, whatever, and you reject it out of pride, God, because he anointed me to help you and you're rejecting what I'm saying, you're rejecting what he's saying. He will resist you. Some people are being resisted and things won't go right in their life and they wonder why. It's because of a fundamental lack of humility. Don't be right. Just want God to be right. Father, I don't care if I'm wrong. I'll, I'll, I'll take whatever the licks are. Just, I want to be close to you. You said you'll draw close to me and you'll lift me up. I need your help and I want your presence. So I know I have to be humble if I'm going to have any of that stuff. And I, and I guard my heart. I check my heart all the time, all the time, all the time. First Peter chapter five. Now, Peter, James is, this is tag team. James, they tag. James is over on yonder and he's just, you know, getting a refreshment. And now Peter comes into the ring. You better watch it because Peter's got a good sock. He's powerful. He's got a good right hook. Now, verse five, first Peter five, five. Likewise, you younger submit yourself to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject unto one another and be clothed. Remember, Paul said, put on in Colossians. Now he says, be clothed with what? Humility. For God resists the proud. Mo, it sounds like James, doesn't it? But gives grace to the humble. That's exactly what James said. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Notice it's not your time. It's due time, which means his time. If you're not being exalted, it's because it's not, he's not, you're not ready for it, either because there's other character issues or other faith issues or other love walk issues, but a lot of the time, it's because there's pride issues. There's pride issues. I can forgive everybody, Pastor Happy, but if I'm proud, I still will be resisted. My faith still won't work right. And lastly, which we've already read in these other verses, but I'll just give you one more Old Testament scripture. is the book of Proverbs, and it's chapter... Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. I'm giving you lots of scriptures so that you can't say it's not in the Bible. Proverbs 3, 34. Surely he scorneth, he, God, scorns the scorners. So if you're a scorner kind of person, mocking people, making fun of people, derailing, you know, just if you're that kind of a, you know what it means to scorn somebody? Really, if I scorn you, I think I'm better than you. I think you're less than me. That scorning attitude is pride. What does God do? He will have the same attitude toward you if you're a scorner. He'll scorn you if you're a scorner. But he giveth grace, power, aid, supply, increase, favor, blessing. To who? The lowly, the humble. I, I, I won't read it for sake of time, but 2 Kings, it's in Isaiah 38 if you're interested on in that. But it's also 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 2. Hezekiah. Actually, I love it so much, I'm going to read it. Second Kings, and then we're done. Second Kings chapter 20 and verse 2. Because this guy is a perfect example of somebody whose life was not going right. And I'm telling you, some of you, you, you things could be better for you. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. That means things aren't going right. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, that I set that house in order for you will die and not live. Nobody wants that prophecy, but he got it. Now, what did he do? He turned his face to the wall. That meant, in other words, I don't want to consult with any other human being. I want privacy. 
He, he got privacy. He turned his face to the wall where it was just him and God. And he prayed unto the Lord saying, I beseech thee. That's a very deep word in the Hebrew it means I cry to you with all my heart. I beseech thee, O Lord. Remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Now he was giving his resume, which God doesn't usually like. But the point is he was repenting. He was reminding God that he wasn't always a loser and he was humbling himself. That's the key. God saw that he humbled himself. When he wept sore, when David had sinned, Psalm 51, and he wept sore before God and he humbled himself, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Return unto me the joy of my salvation and create a right, clean heart within me. That is, that is the epitome of humility. Amen. I don't have a right heart. I'm wrong. Please forgive me. Please make me, make me the heart that you want that pleases you, O Lord. You see humility? And what did God do? God restored him. What about this guy? He wept sore and it came to pass before Isaiah was gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him as he's weeping, Greg, as he's weeping, God saw in real time him weeping and Isaiah is leaving his palace. And before he even gets to the middle of the palace, the word of the Lord comes to him and says, turn again, verse five, and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David. Why do you call David? The God of David, thy father, because David had humility Amen. and God turned it for David. So he's bringing David up on purpose. Thus saith the Lord God. In other words, I've done it for David. I'm going to do it for you. I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. In other words, he could, we could read, I have seen thy humility. Behold, I will heal thee on the third day. Thou shalt go up to the house of the Lord and I will add unto thy days 15 years and I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and I will defend the city for my own name's sake and for my servant David's sake. Listen, if in a lesser covenant of judgment, God saw a man humbled and God says, I'll, I'll make it back to you. I'll give you 15 years and I'm going to destroy your enemies. And an angel came and killed 185,000 Assyrians because you humbled yourself. If he did that then, how much more in a covenant of grace, in the covenants of promise, when he sees a blood-washed child humble himself and say, God, help me. My life's not going right. I don't, want to be, I don't want to be right all the time if I'm really wrong and miss it. I humble myself. Teach me. Show me. I'll correct. I'll change. I'll repent. I'll make amends. I'll do whatever I need to do. Just show me. If he can do it for Hezekiah, he can do it for you. Manasseh was the most evil king that ever lived. If you study his life, he was beyond. He was the most evil man that ever lived, king-wise. He was the 14th king. He sacrifices children in the fire. He was, just, he was just an evil man. They put him in the prison. And it says in the prison, he had time to think. And he humbled himself before the Lord. You can read it. And he knelt down in the prison and he cried, wept sore before the Lord God of Israel. And he said, forgive me of my great evil. And God in a covenant of judgment raised him up. 
Remember the humble, he rises up and gives you grace. And he said to him, because you have repented and humbled yourself, I will restore all that I have taken from you. I'll add to your life. And the Bible says he became a righteous king. He went back to Jerusalem. He got his palace back. He got his nation back. And God restored to that evil, wicked man. And the Bible says all his days he honored God because he realized God was the real God. He wasn't God like he thought he was. It was God. But it took great humility for God to raise him up. It took great humility and God raised David up. It took great humility and God raised Hezekiah up. If I am humbled, how much more do I have a right in the new covenant to be raised up? And if all of what has been preached and in this word, if you still harden your heart and be proud and arrogant and think that you know better, you deserve what you get. Because God, no matter how much you've done wrong done, he looks at the heart. He looks at the humble heart. And the humble heart, he will lift up. And the humble heart, he will give grace to. I'm telling you, some of you, you need to listen to me. I, I could call people out by name, by the word of knowledge right now, but I'm not going to do it. Because some of you, God's already shown me in prayer why things have gone wrong in your life. And I asked the Lord before, I said, Father, I don't know where the anointing is going to take me tonight, but do you want me to call people out? And he said, nope. And I said, why, Lord? Because you've shown me over the months why some people's lives are not going right. And he said, for the same reason Dr. Dufresne didn't. You can't tell everybody everything all the time. They've got to grow up and they've got to hear my voice. I had to pay a price for my stupidity and I had to grow up and learn how to listen to God. And when he did correct me, I took my licks and I took them humbly and I didn't disconnect from the one who corrected me. And I, God won't let me, even though I know some, I know there are people sitting right here. Some of you are leaders, some of you are ministers, some of you are, are just regular congregation members. But I've prayed and I've seen into the spirit and served not everything. I rarely know everything. I see partly in a glass dimly, but I know some things as why things are off. Because I'm, why? Why does God show me and not Taylor? Because Taylor's not the pastor, I'm the pastor. My office has a right to know things about your life. But the key is, will you receive it if I tell you, are you humble enough? Are you listening to me? I, I, wish, I wish God would let me because I could have this person stand up and I could prophesy to you. I could have that person stand up and I could prophesy to you. But, and I would like to do that. It would be embarrassing for you, but I would like to do it. Because I'd rather you be embarrassed and get help. But I asked the Lord, will you let me? And he said, no. And I said, why? Let me help them. And he said, they have to learn to grow up and listen to my spirit like Dr. Dufresne told you. But occasionally, he will let me do that to rescue people. But he has to tell me, I have to be authorized. Otherwise, I'll do it in the flesh. And then, and then God will be displeased with me and people with feeling will get hurt. And at times, it does need to happen publicly. But God has to author that. So I asked him to let me and he said, no, so I can't. But you, you, listen, you got the greater Holy Ghost. You got great, I'm just me. You got the great Holy Ghost on the inside. He can show you. He wants to show you. But you, you need to come before him with an attitude of humility, not an attitude, well, we already know that, I, like I did with Jenny, we already know that I'm right and she's wrong. No, that's not the right attitude. It took me three months to get that stinking thinking out of me. He could have told me the first day I prayed about Peru, but it took me three months of fasting and praying to get the attitude of pride out of me. Do you understand? And finally, when I was based to nothing, he could talk to me because now he can fill me up because I'm empty. You can't come to him when you're full. You've got to come to him empty. Let him fill you up. Are you with me? And I'll, and I'll say this. There are times in services because Pastor Nancy, one time I was starchy and stiff and, and, and really it was a pride issue because I've never been taught to be loose 
loosey goosey and to respond. Previous pastor certainly didn't teach me. So, so Pastor Nancy calls me up. She calls me up into Pastor Scott's church and I thought I'm going to get this great word. I've, my heart is filled with anticipation. And she, she, she didn't embarrass me on purpose, but she embarrassed me in front of the whole church because she had to correct me. And God told her to do it publicly. And she says, now, you know that candle when it goes all the way down and there's all that black goo and that disgusting stuff on the bottom? I'm thinking, where, my God, where's she going with this? Is she going to say, Jenny, is that black goo? What is she going to say? What is she, where is she going with this? Because I can't see how this is going to be very encouraging. And then, and I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she's like, that's you. You're calling me black, disgusting goo? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Because you're proud, you won't respond, you've got the Canadian starch in you, and you need to loosen up, and you need to get into joy, and you need to dance a little bit, and you need to not worry about what everybody else thinks about you, and you just need to get free. Because that guck is not going to take you into the next plan of God, the, the, the next phase of ministry. But the freedom and the joy and the not being so stiff and worrying about what everybody thinks about you. Because I've been trained as a Canadian to be very proper. That's why I couldn't understand Pastor Lakitic with his hanky and his fishing rod. Like, I don't get it. It's not necessary. Don't do it. It's just stupid. It's weird. But I realize over time that he's, that there's a freedom to him. There's a responding to him that I see humility. I could have got offended with her because she did that publicly. And I'm telling you, that hurt. But I went back to the room and I remember my wife was there and I said, thank you, Jesus, for correcting me publicly because I obviously need to change. I receive it and I will do it. And I endeavored from that day to try and be a little less Canadian. Do you know what I mean when I say Canadian? Prim, proper, and starch. And I've still got a long way to go, but I am getting better. Praise God. What I'm saying is just because she corrected me publicly because God authored it didn't mean I got offended with her or disconnected from her. I humbly received it because it was for my good. So whether God corrects you privately, I correct you in the green room, I correct you publicly. If you're smart and if you're humble, you'll receive it. But Dr. Dufresne always told me, don't ever correct someone unless God authors it. Even if you know, don't ever do it. Because you'll grieve the spirit, you'll hurt the person, and that's how you people will leave your church unnecessarily. So I never do that publicly unless God. Remember at our last minister's meeting? Do you remember that minister that was standing there who got offended and left? <laughs> but the Holy Ghost came on me in such power. I don't, I don't know if I've ever felt that kind of power. It was overwhelming power. And, and my hand, I didn't even know what I was doing until I, until I was doing it. I mean, it's like he took my hand. I didn't even, I don't remember lifting my hand. And I held my hand over that woman's head and I started hitting her like Dr. Dufresne with the people hard. And I'm not like that. I don't do that. But that was the anointing. And I, and I heard myself say, I didn't even know I was going to say, get out of your head, get out of your head, get out of your head. But that was public correction because God knew they're, they're going to they're gonna abort their future. And they wouldn't humble themselves and they did abort their future. And God told me months later what they aborted because I didn't even know at the time what they were aborting and he showed me what they aborted. And, and they, I feel so bad for people that get things aborted because of pride, they won't humble themselves. So I've said enough. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the fundamental value and blessing and critical nature of the word humility. 
We need it. I need it. They need it. Whether they're minister, rich, poor, black, white, new at the church, not new at the church, it don't matter. Every one of us need another double dose of Holy Ghost humility. Now it's in us and we must draw it up and we must put it on and we must clothe ourselves with it in our hearts and with our minds. We can choose, in other words, to act a certain way and to be humble of heart and humble of mind. Father, we must or we will miss the future. We will get off and not on why things are not working for us. Let us be like Hezekiah if things aren't going right and turn our hearts to the wall and pray quiet and private and cry before the Lord and say, Father, show me. I will accept whatever you say. Just let me know it's you. Show me. And Lord, if they can't hear, give them a dream. And if you don't want to do that, then use me or use somebody around them that loves them and that is not trying to hurt them. But Father, get it over to them so that you can help them and lift them up and give them grace instead of resisting them and holding them off where they're alone and they're wandering around and they're going in circles and they wonder why things don't go right. Father, I've done my best without calling names. I pray that they would open their hearts to receive this message. And Lord, some people in this room, if they were spiritual, and I don't know if they are, but if they were spiritual, they would listen to this sermon at least five to ten times in the next ten days until this gets so deep inside them that revelation starts to bud and birth and grow like an oak tree in them on this subject of humility because some of them think they've got it and one hearing is usually not enough, especially if you need it. Multiple hearings are often required and for it to get down deep into your heart and take root. So Lord, I leave it to them. I've done my job as their pastor. I bless them and I thank you for them. And Lord, for those of us, I believe all of us in this room and watching that are going to respond humbly, you're going to lift us up if we need it. You're going to strengthen us if we need it. You're going to set us on the right course if we're getting off. You're going to give us grace and power and anointing and we're going to run our race with victory and with prosperity. Because Lord, there's nothing better than knowing that we're humbled before the almighty God and the offices that he's assigned to us and the loved ones like our wives and husbands that he's assigned to us. And Father, let some of these husbands get the clue, and I'm saying it by the Holy Ghost, let some of them get the hint that the answer that they need is in the why is in the mouth of their wife. Father, you said to me two years ago through Pastor Nancy, listen to your wife. There are answers in her mouth for you. And Lord, I've lost count of how many times it has come to pass because I've humbled myself to acknowledge and listen with an open heart, her counsel. Father, some of these husbands, they need to listen to their wives. Stop being so masculine and macho and things would go better for them. Some of these wives, Father, if they've got that feminist type of uh, strong woman complex, they need to humble themselves and listen to their husbands and it will go well with them. All of us need to humble ourselves and listen to our pastor, me, Pastor Nancy, them, me, and it will go well with us. Every one of us need to humble ourselves and listen to the Holy Ghost, and it will go well with us. In Jesus' name.